No more excuses. I will willingly choose God's fame above my own. I will stop acting as if I am the center of the world. I will look at my apathy straight in the face and demand that it leave. No more excuses. I will both admit my addictions and cry out to the healer. I will refuse to allow the enemy to continue stealing my joy. I will stop worrying about what everyone around me is thinking. No more excuses. I will turn my heart back again. I will listen hard to the whispers of his spirit, and I will proclaim the wonders of his never-ending love. No more excuses. No games. No pretending. No hiding. No dead religion. No more excuses. Period. Good morning. I know you don't make those, but those are pretty good uh, clips you find. I like those. As uh, Pastor Brenda was saying, we are continuing her series today on No More Excuses. And if you have been here, been here over the last uh, three weeks, uh, you will know that the first week we talked about one excuse that people have is, I can't forgive them. And forgiveness is a huge part of our spiritual walk with God. And I am absolutely convinced that we cannot have a true relationship with God if we don't have forgiveness in our hearts because we will never be able to open our hearts to fully receive what God has for us if we have closed our hearts with bitterness. And, if we, and we've allowed bitterness to sneak in. And Satan will bait you and keep you from experiencing what God wants for you by planting a seed in your heart. And a lot of times with a seed that grows into a weed or into what we have in our backyard, our 550 small maple trees growing everywhere, is that I can chop off the top of the tree. But unless I get to the root the roots will still grow. And as you know, if you've ever had a big tree next to your sidewalk, that root system can go and can tear into your sidewalk. It can tear into your plumbing system from the road into your house. It could tear into your foundation of your house. And a root system will destroy everything that is around it if it's not plucked and we have to have forgiveness in our hearts at all times in order to experience what God has for us. The next week, Pastor Brenda talked about where I can't give more. And a lot of times as Christians, we get to that point, not just financially, but even uh, spiritually and physically and with our time, that we don't have anything else to, to give. And Pastor Brenda talked about 10% is not that much to give when it's not ours anyways. It's already God's. How our time, if we learn how to look at what is important, our time reflects our value system, amen? It does. Our time reflects our value systems. What we place as importance in our lives is where we are going to find time. If football is a value system, then we find plenty of time on Saturdays and Sundays to watch football. If football is overtaking care of your house, then you will find that your house begins to degrade 
but your football skills are getting much better. Your armchair quarterback skills are getting very incredible while your house is falling apart around you. If your family is not as important as other things as your job, you will find that you might be increasing in status in your job, but you are decreasing your family time. You are decreasing the health of your family. And so last week we talked a little bit about, or two weeks ago, about I can't give more than last week. I can't tell that. There are things in our lives that we need to tell. There are things in our lives that we need to confess. There are things in our lives that we need to get out. And there are things that, and sometimes pride plays a large part on what we tell and what we do not tell. And it is important to, uh, and especially for for guys and, and women as well, to have accountability people in your lives that you can tell things to. And that accountability person doesn't necessarily have to be your spouse. But you do need to have somebody that you can tell things to and get things out. Because when you express something, when you get it into the atmosphere, God can begin to change that. Amen? So this morning we're going to talk about change. Change is uh, not easy. It sounds good. Changing sounds easy. Well, man, you know what? I'm sorry, babe. Uh, you know, uh, I can change that. Speaking from personal experience, don't worry. Oh, honey, we can, we, don't worry. We can change that. And change is easy the first week, the second week, but if you study change and if you study uh, habits, you'll realize that most habits begin to fall back to the old habit within two or three weeks. Unless there are systems set in place, or unless you can continue that change for a longer amount of time, where then the change now becomes the, the habit. But whoever here has ever tried to change something in your life? Come on. You've, you've tried to change, and it, and it went pretty well, the first couple of days, maybe it was a diet. Anybody here ever tried to diet and you're like, I'm going to change the way I eat. I'm going to change the way, I am going to get healthy, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to, I'm going to change my lifestyle. And the first day you went out and you went running, and man, you woke up the next day like, oh man, I'm a little slow. You, you tried to go run the next day and you're like, oh man, take a little time. Third day, oh, well, you know, uh, we got things to do over here, I'll... And before you know it, all this change that you were going to do is gone and, and you have flowed back into the things that you were doing. Because excuses, and we can make excuses after excuses after excuses, and we can create even a false, what's the word I'm looking for, justification of why we're not doing it. Well, you know, I'm not going to do this. And, and we could justify just about anything in our lives that we want to do. We can. And there are some things that we, uh, that we should not be doing, but somehow in our mind we can find ways to justify why we are doing those things. 
but those are excuses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 in the New International Version says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants us to renew our mindset. Amen? We do. We need at times to renew the mindset, to renew how we see things. The, uh, the, the cliche is one person sees the glass half full, somebody sees the glass half empty. And I know that's something, and it is, it's a cliche, and I know we've heard that for years. But if you really look at someone who sees the glass half full, you will see that they see potential in every other area, or at least most other areas of their lives. The person who sees the glass as half full or half empty, if you follow their track through life, you will notice that they have a very pessimistic attitude on life and what can change and what cannot change. And so we have to have a mindset that we can change areas in our lives that need to be changed. But that comes with the renewing of our minds. And by putting on that new self, by, 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 by tearing off the old self and putting on that new self. And that sounds easy, like I'm going to walk into the closet, take off this shirt, and put on a new shirt, and then everything is going to be okay. But we have to learn what it's like to live from the inside out. So this morning we are going to talk about putting on or renewing that mindset from the inside out in order to change what we think that we cannot change and getting over the excuses that we have for not changing. Because excuses are rationalizations. They are rationalizations that we make to ourselves about people, events, and circumstances. We rationalize things. As I said, we can justify and rationalize just about everything that we do. But they are invented reasons we create to defend our behavior. My behavior when I get stressed is a roller coaster of emotion. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm angry, sometimes I'm happy and angry at the same time. I don't know. But we can make excuses and I can say, well, you know, I've got, I'm so busy over here and I've got so much on my mind and there's so much going on. And if I'm not careful, I can justify my behavior. And instead of changing the behavior, just come up with more excuses. And those excuses change from one thing to the other. And so the behavior changes from one thing to the other. So they are invented reasons we create to defend our behavior, to neglect a particular kind of action, or simply as a means of negating responsibility. I know I have never done that. And I know 
All of you here today have never done that, have you? No. I can look at your faces. I just this crowd over here just, just staring at me. But they are a means of negating responsibility. And face it, we do. There are things that, that we know that we need to do. And there are times when we just flat out say, I don't want to do that. And I know I'm coming. It is such a beautiful day today, and it is a beautiful Sunday, and I know that I should go and do some work, but my Lord, how many more Sundays are we going to get like this? Before it's 40 below, and we're freezing to the sidewalk. And so it's like, oh, you know. And I'll be honest with you, we're going apple picking today. My house is telling me that I don't need to go apple picking. But I'm going apple picking. My excuse is I want to spend family time. Is it, is it a valid excuse? Yes. But is it going to be my excuse every time I come against something that I want to do? Because there are values that we have that, that guide the decisions that we make. And those value systems have to change before we can change. And so if my value system is family, fun, good times, then that value system is going to allow me to create excuses to get around doing the things that are not under the categories as family, fun, and good times. It's just the way it is. If your value system isn't church on a nice sunny day on Sunday, it's hard to get up and go to church. Amen? Now, if your value is church, then it doesn't matter what happens, you end up at church. What has always, always surprised me about Michigan is that church people show up when it's 40 below zero outside and there's snow on the ground. They just show up anyways. You don't, you don't, you know, people used to cancel church in the middle of wintertime. And it's, you know, if you lose electricity, that's one thing. But people can get out and go to church when it's 40 below outside. But people have a hard time going to church when it's 80 and sunny outside. That's tough. Because we have excuses and value systems that say, well, this is more important than church. Or this is more important than my spiritual walk with God. And that's where I want to... If something has become more important than our spiritual walk with God, then this over here is going to get our time. And changing our personal relationship with God is going to get less time. And anything that falls into this value system over here is going to take the priority instead of this. And this ends up dying. And instead of putting on the old man, or put it, taken off the old man, we put the old man on. And the old man that we might have gotten rid of comes back. Or we are constantly in a battle with that old man, and that old man is never subdued. And it is a constant daily battle between trying to do what's right and what's not right. So excuses are, in essence, a means of placing blame of an internal problem on an external condition so it's placing blame of an internal problem 
on an external condition. Changing from the inside out. And there are many reasons why people make excuses. There are. We, we have tons of reasons. In fact, everyone has different reasons for making them. Because we all have different value systems. However, when it boils down to it, we only make excuses for some of the following main reasons. And so I just briefly want to run through this. One reason is a fear of failure. People don't want to change or make major changes sometimes in their lives because they're afraid if they step out on something new that they're going to fail. Amen? If I do everything, you know, my status quo is pretty good. It could be better, but if I change, hoping it get, could get better, it could get worse. We don't like, as Christians, we don't like the rebuilding times in our lives. If you watch sports at all, you will know there are times when teams lose players and they go through a rebuilding process in order to get back or be better than what they were. But that rebuilding process takes time, energy, and effort, and pain. So as Christians, a lot of times we don't want to go through the rebuilding process. It hurts. Not when the status quo has little pain, little reward, but it's okay because we've made it this far. Why can't we just keep on walking the same path? This church has been here for so long, so as long as we keep walking the same path, this church that we have, it might satisfy us. But is it really making the difference that God wants it to make? Or is the change too fear? Are we too afraid of the change that we're willing to stay here Instead of going here. Because this rebuilding process hurts. The pruning process hurts. We lose a lot of times what we consider relationships during this pruning process. And those relationships that we lose during the pruning process are relationships that we should lose anyways. But we're trying to hang on to them. And then it pulling us back. And so change, we cannot be afraid to change and to walk into something new. We should not have a fear of embarrassment. Some people don't want to change because they're afraid they're going to get embarrassed. My wife changed hair salon people. She was embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed. I liked that little blonde, black streak thing you had going. Took me all the way back to the late 90s. <laughs> we can't be embarrassed to change. We can't be embarrassed to step out and afraid that we're going to do something that might not, that might what? Disrupt our pride. That's what embarrassment is. It's a disruption of pride. We can't be afraid of our pride. We can't be afraid of success. And I know that sounds strange, but some people are afraid of succeeding. If I get... <laughs> If I go any higher in my company, man, I'm going to have more responsibility. <laughs> I'm going to have more. People are afraid of success, and people will sabotage themselves because they're afraid of succeeding and getting better. Maybe there's been times when they've succeeded and something has happened, so now they submarine themselves. Fear of change, which is what we're going to talk about. Fear of uncertainty. There's a fear of responsibility. I have a fear of responsibility. 
Don't look at me like you don't know that. I do. Because of a fear of time. Will I have time to do this? And so there's a fear of responsibility. There's a fear of making mistakes, which we all have. We don't want to make mistakes. As humans, we don't like making mistakes. There's also a fear of lack of confidence or resources. Don't let the lack of resources change what you think you should be doing in life. That's huge. A lot of people will not step out and make change. They will not step out into, they, they might even feel a true calling of God into a certain area, but because of a fear of a lack of resources, they won't take that step. And God, if he's calling you into something, he will take care of everything. He will open the doors. Amen. And so there are major areas, or, or main reasons that people base their excuses on for not wanting to change. And, that's, and we all do. And depending on where your value system is, these are going to take higher rank than others. But we all have this fear of, I can't change this in my life. It's a thorn. Paul dealt with a thorn in his flesh. And we all deal with a thorn. I, I do believe that. I, do, I, I believe that there are areas that I might struggle with that other people are like, that's not a struggle for me, but this is. And I'm like, but that's not a struggle for me. We all have something in our flesh that is trying to break us or prick us or bring us down. And we have to overcome that old man. But we can't be afraid of doing that, of making those changes in our life or stepping out and doing what God wants us to do in our lives. So I can't change. What this means is you lack motivation and reason to change a lot of times. A lot of times people who struggle and they don't, and, and they don't want to change or they can't change because there's a lack of motivation. Moreover, this also suggests that we lack emotional pain that would help us to accelerate the change. Maybe you were an alcoholic. Struggled with alcoholism, maybe even drug addiction, other kinds of addiction. Some people have had these crazy moments of just taking maybe the pack of cigarettes and laying them down and going, I'm never going to smoke again. And they walk away, and they never smoke again. Other people, I've got 15 patches on my arm right now, and I still want to smoke. <laughs> Your body's just covered in one big patch, and you're like, others, others, people have dealt with alcohol. Maybe and, and other things in lives that, that we deal with. But some people, and, and I remember I grew up with a guy in church. His dad was a pretty bad alcoholic. And, and um, the dad uh, got home and passed out. And when he woke up, uh, his 8-year-old or 9-year-old, whatever it was, was sitting there playing with the beer bottles or the whiskey bottles over, his, over him on the floor of the living room. And he said he woke up at that point and watched his son playing with beer bottles and liquor bottles, whatever it was, and says, I will never drink again. And he walked away. And never picked up 
another bottle. But for him, that was the motivation to change. So if there's things in our lives, and there are some things like, I want to change. And you're, but it's, it creeps back in. And so we have to find a way to sometimes even amputate things out of our lives. Because if we don't get it out, it shows that we don't have the emotional, that we haven't felt the emotional impact of something. So a lot of times the lack of change means we don't feel the emotional impact of it. When it comes to our motives and desires, we are always pulled forward by the desire for pleasure or pushed forward by the desire to avoid pain. So when it comes to motives or desires, we're either pulled forward by the desire for pleasure or we're pushed forward by the desire to avoid pain. For some people, pain is a great motivator. And if you don't believe you can change, the reason for this is that you simply haven't associated enough pain not to change. And once you begin to look at all the desired consequences that result from not changing or making change, then you will soon realize that the motivation was always there. We have to have motivation to change. And I think that's where it comes from. Sometimes people can just drop something and go, the emotional pain that this caused was enough for me to make the change. Other people have to fall a little bit further in order to find that motivational pain. But the fact is that God wants to motivate us to change. And that's what we read about in Ephesians was that God wants to renew in us a new what? Mindset. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting to the point to where you realize that I need to change my perspective on what I'm looking at. When somebody experiences something in their life that drives change, they begin to change the way they look at something. They put on a different set of glasses and they begin looking at it through someone else's eyes instead of their own. And sometimes we have to put on God's eyes and say, God, what is it that you're seeing in me? Because if I can't change for me, and if I can't change for her, then I need to change for you. And a lot of times what happens with people who don't change or have a hard time changing is that they're not changing for themselves. They are trying to change for someone else. And I can't sometimes make change just based on someone else because maybe I haven't felt the full impact of what that person is feeling. So for me, it's like, well, it doesn't really hurt me as bad. But if we look at what God is wanting from us and we put ourselves in God's eyes, we realize that we are not only hurting ourselves and other people, but we are now hurting God. And we are removing ourselves from some things that God wants to do inside of us because we're not willing to step out and make changes in our lives. And so we have to be find that area and change that perception in our mind on what God wants us to do. And as Christians, that means we need to focus on God. If I'm struggling in areas in my life that I need changed, my change has to come from the inside out. That means I have to find an altar somewhere or, or at home, whatever that looks like to you, and begin trying to change my walk with God and changing my perception on the inside. If I don't change my prayer life, I'm not going to change from the inside out. And most people who are struggling with change 
the excuses of praying are large. And I have fallen into that myself. Well, my God, you know, I get home from work. Uh, you know, we eat dinner. We put the, then I fall asleep on the couch. What time do I have to give God? And if we're not careful, that becomes a mindset. And it shows where our value system really is. And that is hard to do because our value system is what creates the culture that we have in our life and in our home. And so we have to be able to look and say, God, how, how do I change this? And it comes through getting on our knees and developing something on the inside that begins to change the outside. Because you, can't, you can dress up the old man and you can put a brand new suit and tie on it and you can do its hair and you can give it a bath and you can shave it. But it's still the old man. My dad used to tell a story of, uh, uh, and I don't know if it was true or not, the way dad told stories, he never knew if it was true if he was making it up. But it was a drunk guy in a small town, and they had the town drunk. And so somebody decided that they were going to do an experiment. So they went and they picked up the town drunk, took him, gave him a bath, gave him a razor, put on a new suit, put on a tie, slicked him up, Walked out. People didn't even recognize him. What happened, though, a week later, two weeks later, town drunk is now still is back on the street. Shirt ripped, ties gone, jacket. You can dress something. You can dress the old man up to get through. But unless you take off the old man, the old man will sneak back in. And so we have to be able to get rid of that old man and change from the inside out. So I want to just quickly talk about five things that we can start doing today to change our life by transforming our identity from the inside out. Number one, change who you hang around. Change who you hang around. Proverbs 13 and 4 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise. Amen? He who walks with the wise grows wise in Proverbs 13 and 4. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, Bad company corrupts good character. You eventually become like the people you spend the majority of your time with, so it is important to surround yourself with godly people. Amen? Bad company corrupts good character. You know that saying where one rotten apple ruins the bunch? I never really paid any attention to that until I started a business in which we would buy things in bulk. And I had a food rep tell me, or he wasn't a food rep, he was a, a, a guy who was a, a, just a cook and a chef. And he told me, he goes, you know what, when you get your food in, 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 in the containers, and for example, like my tomatoes, and I get cherry tomatoes in, but I get like eight of those small cartons all together. He goes, 
go through each one of those cartons because in each one of those cartons is going to be a rotten tomato. And that rotten tomato is in there for the purpose of ripening the other tomatoes faster so that you don't have the amount of shelf life that you could have. I was like, whatever. A couple weeks later, I started going through my tomatoes. Sure enough. I began going through, and I'd take, and there'd be every container. There was one that was just mushy, and all the ones that were touching it were already starting to shrivel. So I'd start going through and taking those things out, throwing them away. We have to change who we hang around. Plato said people are like dirt. They can either nourish you and help you grow as a person, or they can stunt your growth and make you wilt and die. And that's true. There, and you might get to a point to where you're spiritually growing. And I mentioned this earlier. You might get to the point to where you're trying to walk something out that God wants you to walk out. But you have people, and maybe these people have been friends of yours for years, but you realize they're starting to stunt your growth. A lot of times, if I'm hanging out with some, you know, if you're hanging out with a group of friends and one friend starts succeeding and you're not, it makes you question things about yourself that you don't want to question. Why is this person doing better than me? If I can pull this person back into my group, then I can feel better about myself. So if we want to change, I can't surround myself with, with people who are speaking ungodly things into my life. If someone's calling on you on the phone and wanting to talk about somebody else, you need to hang the phone up. There is no room in any kind of church for gossip and for the things that go along with it. We have to be able to change things. My wife and I went through, uh, went through something a few years ago, and we made sure that we surrounded ourselves with the right people who would speak stuff into us and not try to pull things out of us. And that's important because you want people to fill you and not take away from you. So we have to make sure who are we surrounding ourselves. For better or worse, we become more like the people that we hang around. And our associations have a lot to do with where we're at in every area of our life. Amen? That's why we have to surround ourselves with people that sometimes make us feel uncomfortable. Maybe their success makes us feel uncomfortable. If I surround myself with people who are broke like me, I might never <laughs> stop being broke. Because their value systems might be the same as my value systems. And if they're not feeding me or filling me with something that is different than what I'm already doing, then I'm going to stay the same that I've always been. But we have to surround ourselves with wise and godly counsel, amen, that can speak into us, that can help us change the different areas in our life that we are struggling in. Number two, we need to read more. If we want change in our life, then we need to read more. In 2 Timothy chapter 13, verses 14 through 17 says, But don't let it phase you. Stick with what you learned and believed, sure of the integrity of your teachers. Why? You took to the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk. There's nothing like the written word of God 
for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. But stick with what you learned and believed. Because every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or the other. If we are not filling ourselves up with godly things, then we take on what it is that we are reading. If you're reading 800 Shades of Grey, that's what you begin to fill your mind with. If Stephen King is your Bible, that's what you begin to fill your mind with. If TMZ is your favorite TV show, that's what you're filling your mind with. All right? So we have to fill our mind with things. And by reading, if we read the Word of God, man, we can find things in there that just, we're like, wow, I didn't even know that. I've read things in there recently. I was like, I didn't know that was in there. Love my wife? What? What was that all about? But no, we read things in there and we're like, I didn't know that was in there. We might have read it two years ago and it didn't make any sense to us then, but we read it now we're like, wow, that makes some sense now. That is why it's called the living word of God because that thing is alive. It is organic. It changes. It grows. It increases as we increase. But we have to get past Genesis 1 and 1 in order for it to increase. Amen. And so we have to fill our minds and our body with knowledge of godly things. It, reading allows us to shape our identity independently of our current circumstances. You, we internalize the wisdom and knowledge of the authors that we read. And they say that there are two types of experiences that we can learn and grow from. Personal experience and the experience that we borrow from others. If you're borrowing the wrong experience from others, you're filling your life with that. So be, if you're wanting to change, read things that, that, that talk about changing your life. Listen to things that fill you, that, that give you knowledge on how to change those things. Because God's Word is about changing your mindset and looking at things through God's eyes instead of through earthly and worldly eyes. Number three, we have to keep our word, amen? 1 John 2 and 5, if someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words, but the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God, anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. This is hard, and this is one I struggle with. And it's not because it's something that I do consciously. But it's something that's like, man, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I, I'm on that. I got this. But then something else happens over here. Maybe something happens over here. And those circles of influence in our lives can drag us away because this circle of influence over here might be much more appealing than doing what I've said I'm going to do. 
because honestly, when I say I'm going to do something for someone, it might not be part of my value system of, 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 of what I find important in life. My wife married someone who hates to work in the yard, who doesn't have a clue on how to build a thing. I tried building bookshelves from Lowe's. They ended up looking like that. I have no idea what I did, but at one point in time, I just took the power drill and started just drilling through it. And that particle board doesn't do very well with a power drill. I can't build. I'm like my daddy. My dad was a preacher, a pastor all my life. That man could preach and sell shorts to Eskimos. But he couldn't build the thing. And so if I'm not careful, when I tell my wife, oh, man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to work in the yard. I get out there in about a half hour, I get a text message. Hey, you want to come play volleyball? Well, yeah, I want to go play some volleyball. Oh, wait a minute, I got to get this. Oh, we're playing in a half hour. Okay, I'll get this done. And I spend an hour over here and four hours over here. Pretending I'm in the Olympics, I'm an Olympic volleyball player. But what does that show about my value system? Amen. So I have to be sure that I keep, my, and that's all of us. We have to, if we say we're going to do something, and I know life happens, but that's the problem. Life is always going to happen. We have to be able to keep our word and do what it is that we say we're going to do. Amen. We make those promises. We follow through with those promises. And the thing is that, especially those of you who've had children and, and us who, who, who have children, you know, those children pick up things. Your grandchildren pick up things. And if we say we're going to do something, well, you know, you know we'll, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. That's what they begin to see. And then that handshake or that word of agreement that we used to to brag about having back in the, you know, back in the day, that's no longer there anymore. So we have to make sure that we keep our word when we say we're going to do things. Number four, we need to challenge ourselves. In Mark chapter 10, and I think it's 29 through 31, Jesus says, Mark my words, no one ever sacrifices house, brother, sisters, mother, father, children, land, whatever, because of me, and the message will lose out. They'll get it all back, but multiplied many times in homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, but also in troubles. And when the bonus of eternal life, this is once again the great reversal. Many who are first will end up last, and the last first. We have to challenge ourselves, and there are sacrifices, as it talks about here. We can't allow the sacrifice... And that's what he says. I'm not sacrificing your house, your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father. I'm going to increase it. But a lot of times, we, God wants to challenge us, and we're afraid of the challenge. And we use those things as excuses of why we're not following through. When God says, if you do follow through, I'm going to increase it. 
I'm going to increase your home. I'm going to increase your time. I'm going to increase your finance. I'm going to increase this in your life. But we use the things that God wants to increase as excuses not to do it, and then God can't bless it. I'm taking away God's ability to bless it because I'm afraid to challenge myself. And the thing that God wants to bless, I'm actually cursing. It's like Malachi 3. What was it? 3 and 9. And we use that, especially with tithing and offerings, and we always use that scripture. And it says, you know, if we read that, I can't remember what it, what it exactly says in my mind. Read that. It, we sh- it shows that God wants to bless us, but if we don't challenge ourselves in our giving even, we take away God's ability to, or his ability to bless us. And people say, well, how can we take away God's ability to do something? Because God is a sovereign God. Sovereignty means an area of reign. So we have a sovereign God who lives under a so- which are rules. And we can trap God in his sovereignty if we don't challenge ourselves and stuff out in areas. And, we can, and that's what Malachi said. We're challenging his sovereignty. God can't bless me if I'm not willing to step out and do the things that I need to do. And we actually put God in a box so that he can't move the way he wants to move. Because he is a sovereign God. So we have to challenge ourselves. To step out, just like great athletes have to constantly push themselves physically, we all have to take on challenges outside of our comfort level to become champions in Christ. If we want to become champions in our walk with God, we have to constantly push ourselves physically and spiritually and mentally and emotionally in order to move in the areas that God wants us to move in. And, the, and challenges keep us fresh. They do. If somebody challenges me to something, it gets my, my competition heart rate going. I'm like, all right, we got this. Look at Peyton Manning. I can't stand, I do not like, I'll be honest, with you, I, don't, I don't like Peyton Manning. I don't know why I don't like Peyton Manning. Do you guys know who Peyton Manning is? He's a quarterback. In Jesus' name. He's a quarterback. And a very good quarterback. And he played for the Indianapolis Colts, uh, got really hurt, had a bunch of spinal trouble and fusions and everything else that happened. I don't know. And was out for, what, a year or two, something like that. Comes back, goes to Denver, and is, once again, a great quarterback. thing about him is that he seems to get better the more stress he's under. Just like, do you guys know who John Elway is? Jesus. Moving over here. You know who John Elway is? Thank you, Jesus. Another great quarterback. All right. Well, the same thing. The, the big thing with him was that you never knew if he had the ball and you had a minute and a half left in the game, he was such a threat because he could drive, and I think his longest drive, do you remember? It was over 90 yards in less than a minute, and I can't remember what it was. He went over 90 yards in less than a minute to score a touchdown to win a game. He was just, but it was, almost, it was like his precision got better and his focus got better when he was challenged with something. 
And that's, and that's us as, as Christians. We can, when we get challenged, we can either fall back on God and the knowledge of who God is and get more focused and better and, and start focusing on that goal and say, okay, God, we, we got this. We're driving all the way down the field and we're going to score. Or we can fall back on ourselves and go, man, I don't know. Time's an issue. I don't know if we can do this. You know, do we have the talent? Do we have the ability to do this? So allow yourselves to be challenged. We as a church are being challenged right now. We are being challenged by the world. We are being challenged by our society on what we should be doing and what we should, should or should not be doing as a church. We are being challenged. And we can either fall or we can move back on what we know is as God's principle and say, all right, God, we're going to focus on you and we're going to walk this thing out because we know we can drive down the field and do what we need to do for you. But we have to be able to step out and accept that challenge as a church. And right now, we have a challenge in our community to move outside these walls and to step out in something that we might not even recognize, we might not even understand, we might even fear, but God is challenging us to walk out those doors, move into our community, and do something for God. And we have to be willing to drive down the field with a focus and a determination, knowing that God is that, that God has the ability and the ways to open doors that we might not understand. If we just focus on where we're going, God will take care of it. But we have to focus and use that challenge for, for what's best. And our last thing. Kevin, can you just play something for me up here? Get crystal clear about your why. Get crystal clear about your why. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 through 27 says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it, and then missing out myself. Be crystal clear about your why. I'm running hard to the finish line. That is my why. I'm not going to live sloppy because I have a crystal clear vision of what I'm doing. If I lose focus of my vision, I start wavering in areas of my life. I let the things, those, I let those godly principles go if I'm not careful. I let that old man back in if I don't have a crystal clear vision of why I'm doing something. My boat is just going to go around in circles. And it seems to me that mankind is lazy until something catches his heart. We have to let God catch our heart, amen? Your why is what fuels your life. I can't change unless there is a why, on why I'm about to, of why I need to change. If there's something going on in my life and I don't see a reason to change it, I'm not going to change it. And no one's going to convince me to change it. 
If there's something in my life that needs to be changed, my wife says, you need to change that. And I'm like, but I'm fine. I'm going to have a hard time changing that thing. But if I get a crystal clear vision of the why, now that becomes my motivator. So there's some things in our lives that we might need to pray about and say, God, give me my why. God, there's some things that aren't working out in my life. Give me my why. Give me the reason. Give me the the reason for change. Help me to understand the motivation. Help me to to take this old man off. If there's things that are, are going on in my life, I need your help to understand the why. When I get a crystal clear vision, I can begin to tear those things back. Because our natural state is to be lazy and to take the path of least resistance unless we're motivated by the why in our heart. So what is your why? We need to make changes in our life. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's something spiritual. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's a mental thing. And we've been afraid to deal with it. We've been afraid to attack it. Sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge it because if we acknowledge it, then we have to actually have to do something about it. But get a picture of what it is. Write it down. What are the things that need to change? Write it down. Write it on a piece of paper. Put it down somewhere. And every day, just lay your hand on it and just pray. God, I need to change in this area of my life. Maybe I need to become a better husband. Maybe I need to become a better wife. Maybe uh, it's financial things that I need to get in touch with and control over. Maybe it's, it's, it's my mental uh, capacity. Maybe it's things that I deal with mentally that I need to, God to help me control my thoughts. Whatever it is, I need to get a crystal clear vision of why do I need that done. Allow God to give you the why. And you will find that you have more energy and more passion. And why is transformative, amen? Albert Einstein pointed out that we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. I read that and I was like, wow, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. We have to have a recreation of the mind, amen? Let's all stand. In Romans chapter 12, it says, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you 
develops well-formed maturity in you. And in verse 3 it says, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you, living then as every one of you does in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourself as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it to all of us. Amen. God's grace brings it to all of us. And that's what we have to have. If there are things you're struggling with today, I just want you to bow your heads and just say, God, I'm struggling in areas of my life. I need to change. I'm tired of the excuses that I come up with of not changing. So God, help me, Lord, to take off this old man. God, help me to renew my mind, Lord Jesus, so that it becomes a motivator for me to step out and do the things that I need to do for you. God, help me to surround myself, Lord Jesus, with people, Lord God, who can help me to change and move into the direction that I need to move into, God. Help me to fill my mind, Lord, with your word, with your knowledge, Lord God, with your principles, God, so that your principles become my principles, God, that, that your value systems become my value systems, God. Lord God, help me, Lord Jesus, to have a change from the inside out, God, a spiritual miraculous change, God. Lord God, let it change, Lord Jesus, Lord. Let your life fill me, Lord God. Help me, Lord, to take the excuses out, to make room, Lord God, that you can fill my life, Lord God, with capacity, God, because I know that you, God, can fill any area of my life that I open up to you, God. So today, Lord, help me, God, to get everything out. Help me, Lord God, to get the clutter out. Help me, God, to get the old mindset out, Lord God, and to open my life, Lord, into an area, Lord, that you can fill to capacity, God, with your spirit, Lord God, that will lead and guide me, Lord God, to where you need me to be. And God, I praise you this morning, God, in Jesus' name, amen. God loves each and every one of you. So think about that. Meditate on that this week. God, what can I do? What can I focus on? God, give me my why so that I can know which direction I need to go. Amen. Have a good day.